Welcome to the Athletes Mindset Academy podcast, where we help gymnastics coaches and parents develop happy, healthy athletes who know how to win. Let's get started. Get us started. Hello, everyone. My name is Stacy Fletcher. I'm a coach here at Athletes Mindset Academy, and I am here today with some really special guests. And I'm here with Suni Lee, with Krista St. Germain, and with Allie Brugler. And I'm going to let each one of them introduce themselves and then uh, let you know what we're going to be talking about today. So Allie, go ahead and lead us off. Okay. I'm Allie Brugler. I'm from Shoreview, Minnesota, which is a suburb of the Twin Cities, and I did gymnastics at Midwest Gymnastics throughout high school, and then I came to UWL and did three years of college gymnastics, and I'm a senior now, and I am the student manager for the gymnastics team. Suni? Hi, I'm Suni Salee. I'm on the USA National. I'm on the USA National team. I'm from St. Paul, Minnesota, and I go to Midwest Gymnastics in Little Canada. Um, I'm hoping to make the Olympics this year, and I'm really excited for that. Krista. Yeah, I'm Krista St. Germain, and I'm a master certified life coach, and I primarily work with grief. Uh, my passion is helping widowed moms figure out how to truly love life again. I lost my husband about five years ago and discovered life coaching and post-traumatic growth, and I've kind of been obsessed with it ever since. I also host a podcast called The Widowed Mom Podcast and just love talking grief, strange as it might seem. (laughs) (laughs) And that is exactly what we're here to talk about today. Um, As we've been coaching athletes, uh, well, two things that have come up. One, just COVID, I think, has brought out so much grief for so many people in so many ways. But that has been very unique for the athlete's experience of it. And I think in some ways, a unique roller coaster that athletes have gone on. more so than maybe even the rest of the population. Um, And then uh, there's also just a unique grief that athletes deal with uh, when they retire. And it's so funny because we talk about retirement. I mean, retirement's normally something that people do in their 60s. But for athletes, and especially for gymnasts, retirement can come as a teenager. And so dealing with something that's been such a huge part of your life and then putting it like putting it aside and moving on to something new and learning how to love life all over again, a little bit like you were saying, Krista, with widowhood. Um, I, I think it does feel like some sort of, of a death that, that we experience and not many people talk about it. And so I don't think many athletes really have the tools for dealing with it. And so we want to talk about both of those things here today and, uh, super excited to jump in. So, um, I just want to ask each one of you, specifically Ali and Suni, for you guys to talk a little bit about your own experiences over this past year with the pandemic and um, kind of more your experiences in general and um, what have been some of the areas that you have been experiencing grief. And I want to, I want to start this by saying in the athlete world, emotions are generally unmentionable. They're something that you're not really supposed to have. You're not really supposed to deal with. You're supposed to like be mentally tough. You put those emotions aside and you like kind of operate like a robot as if you don't have any emotions. And um, 
one of the things that we really teach at Athletes Mindset Academy is that that's not actually possible. Your emotions are human. They're how you're wired and they're actually your fuel for everything you do. And so when you turn off your emotions, you literally are like trying to drive on empty. And so what we try to help athletes do is learn how to experience their emotions, to process them in a healthy way, and then to cultivate them, to use them as fuel. And so I know, Allie, for you and for SUNY, I know, Allie, you're more familiar with that. You've done some work with us before, but I'm going to guess that you might feel a little awkward talking about your emotions today. And I just want to like normalize that and say, that's okay. We're going to be awkward together. We're all going to like jump into this together and like feel free to feel awkward. Um, but I think that if you guys are able to really talk honestly about your own emotions, that's really going to help a lot of other athletes um, who look up to NCAA gymnasts and to USA national team gymnasts or just if you know, you're not a gymnast, but you still look up to those athletes, um, be able to really do the same in their own lives. So how have you experienced COVID specifically in the areas of what areas of grief has it caused your, your life in particular? So either one of you can jump in. Okay. Um, I think like the hardest part for our team was like ending at such a high note. We like got second place at conference and we were like three tenths away from first, I think. And we had to kind of fall. So like we knew we were right there. So like just ending so abruptly was really hard for all of us. Because and you guys qualified for nationals yeah. and then weren't able to go, right? And that was huge after like the year before we didn't make nationals. So like that was our one goal. And like, we were just all on such a high that I think the next week finding out like we couldn't go and that it like wasn't a thing was just really hard for us as a team. And then I think in general for me, it was really hard, like not being able to see my friends and like some of my family who were high risk for COVID. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the hardest part for me was probably all of my competitions getting filled. Um, and then the biggest one is probably the Olympics getting canceled because that's been my dream for the longest. And just for that to get canceled after working so hard for, I don't even know how many years, like it was so heartbreaking and it was one of like the saddest moments. That was the one time that I was like, really like, that was when I was like really sad, I guess. Um, and then just like having to stay home and not even getting to go into the gym because the gym is kind of like my safe place. Like I use that to get away from like, like if I'm having a hard time at home. Um, but yeah, I think COVID has definitely been like super hard on me because I lost a couple family members too. So yeah. That's so hard. I didn't know that. I'm really sorry. Thank you. How, um, how long were you out of training? Um, I was out of training for like, I don't know. It's been like, because we got closed and then we got opened up again and then we had to shut down again okay oh so it's I think the first time when we were closed for probably like two months yeah 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 and I can only imagine I mean there doesn't seem to be anything more stable than the Olympics coming around every four years like yeah. we like without a doubt, whether or not you made the team that was happening. And so to have that changed 
I think, um, you know, is, is unthinkable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it was for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more, um, both of you, just, just about that experience and Krista, feel free to like jump in and ask any questions that you want, or even, um, comment on anything that you want to comment on as we go through, I'm going to kind of, you know, move us through, but I definitely would love for us to just have a conversation about it. So, um, so those were the circumstances that you guys experienced, you know, the, the end of, of your gymnastics career, Allie, um, the end of, you know, not being able to go on to nationals, SUNY, not going on to the Olympics, losing family, friends. Those are the circumstances. Like, how has that impacted you emotionally? Um, it was definitely hard. Like there were days where I didn't even like want, like after the Olympics got canceled, I was still practicing for a little bit. And after that, there were days where I just didn't even want to go anymore because I felt like there was just no point. Like I didn't have the Olympics to look forward to, but then I kind of like had to switch gears because obviously like 2021 was when they, um, like set the new Olympics or whatever and yeah like that was so hard on me because it was just like my dream like getting taken away from me and it wasn't something that I could control because it was the pandemic so yeah 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 Ali what about you yeah for me like my gymnastics career ended actually a few months before when I got hurt again so I don't know it was just a really rough like three months for me but um, I was really upset. Like, I I don't think I've ever cried more than I cried, like, for probably, like, two weeks straight. But I feel like that was, like, really important for me to, like, be sad and, like, accept it. Because after that, I, like, moved on and I was able to, like, fully enjoy everything again. So, yeah. And tell us a little bit more. I know the story, but yeah. I've torn my ACL four times, once my junior year of high school, SUNY was there for that one, and then three times in college, my freshman, sophomore, and junior year, and so after the fourth one, I kind of knew it was over, but, and it was our first meet, and I was just really upset, because I had came back in, like, nine months, I had worked so hard, like, everything, I had just came back on beam just to like reduce the risk of injury and then it was like a crazy crash that happened but anyway um I just like in the past I didn't like take time to be sad like I kind of just like shoved it under the rug and was like okay I'm not gonna think about it but I think after the fourth time I realized like it's okay to be sad like it's a sad thing so I took like two weeks I remember I went to coffee with Allie Berry once and we just talked for like two hours straight and so I think that was really important and then I was able to see like the bigger picture like I'm more than just an athlete in the end like I'm a student I'm gonna be going to physical therapy school to help other people in my situation so you just have to think bigger picture yeah yeah so since I you know do grief all day, every day. I see grief everywhere. But what I notice is that a lot of times people associate grief with death. 
they really only think that grief is relevant when someone has died. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of curious to know for the two of you, when did you realize that you were having a grief experience, right? Because grief is really just the natural human response to a perceived loss and loss is different for every person. But clearly this is, you know, a loss for both of you, many losses actually. So did you realize you were, this was grief? Did someone have to tell you that? I'm curious. Um, I don't think I even really realized, mm-hmm. honestly, but like I did lose a sport that I had done for like 20 years of my life. So mm-hmm. I didn't really know anything other than that. So looking back, like that is a loss in my life. So I should have handled it like grief. Well, and I don't want to say any of us should do anything differently than we did. I'm sure you did it, you know, the the best way you knew how to do it at the time. But it's so helpful when we give ourselves permission to to grieve more than just death, right? Any loss. It's not only the loss of a sport you loved. I'm imagining it's your identity, Mm -hmm. right? There's there's many facets to it for SUNY. There actually was with COVID the loss of, of people she cared about too. Yeah. yeah, giving ourselves, I think, realizing that, oh, this is grief. There's nothing wrong with me. It's okay that I feel this way. There was a loss. And maybe it wouldn't be a loss for someone else, but it was a loss for me. And so how I feel about it makes sense. And it's okay for me to feel the way that I do. Sunny, what were you going to say? Um, yeah, I think I realized that I was like, like, obviously, like, going through grief with it because like I feel like I started losing motivation and like all that stuff like I just didn't even want to go into the gym um but once I found out that like they were gonna do the 2021 Olympics I kind of had to just like realize that like I was I still had another year and like think about all of the positives that could come out of like the extra year um But when I lost my aunt and uncle, that was something that, like, was super hard on me and my family because obviously, like, when my mom cries, like, I just want to cry because it's just sad. But, like, my aunt and my uncle were, like, my biggest supporters and, like, they're some of the people that have been supporting me through gymnastics my whole life. So for them to be gone, I guess that was just sad. But now I just have to compete for them and my dad now. Do you ever feel like you're you're supposed to be positive and to and and to what extent? I'm just imagining this pressure and and not being an athlete, I don't know this firsthand, but I'm just imagining this pressure to, you know, as Stacy mentioned earlier, put the negative emotion aside, kind of pretend it's not there and force yourself to to think so positively that you really just don't even allow yourself permission to look at something that feels bad. Do you feel that pressure? Now, um, I definitely do feel that pressure, but it's like, I feel like if I let the pressure get to me, then I'm just gonna like, I think, I think it's gonna like, I don't know, kind of like affect my gymnastics, I guess, because like, obviously, like if you're positive, like it'll help me in gymnastics, but I, I try not to think about anything when I'm in the gym, like I usually just focus on gymnastics and then when I get home, like I can think about all that stuff, but yeah, when I'm in the gym, I don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Sini, I'd love to, if you're okay, can we share a little bit about your story with your dad? Oh, yeah. Um, you okay. go ahead. <laughs> okay. My dad, he was helping a friend 
um, cut down a tree branch and he climbed up and um, he, his foot slipped and he fell head first, um, which left him to be paralyzed. And he actually like almost died for a couple seconds, um, but he ended up being fine. He's just paralyzed from the waist down. And yeah, that's that was something that was really hard for me because it was the day before championship. Um, and I wasn't even going to go to championships, but my dad kind of told me to not even worry about him, like to just go there and have fun and do what I do. So I, obviously I went there because he talked to my coach and he was talking to me because my coach and I were like, we're not going anymore. Like we almost pulled out of the meet, but I realized that I just like worked too hard to just not to, to give it up. Um, so I went there and I didn't even worry about anything else. Like I didn't compete for myself I competed for my dad because my dad's my biggest supporter he's like my best friend and he, I wanted him to be there obviously but he couldn't um but yeah that was something that was really hard on me because I thought I was gonna lose my dad but I um and I thankfully didn't but yeah yeah quite a year mm-hmm yeah, that was 2019, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Sunny went on to uh, win. You got second at nationals, right? Yes. Which uh, with Simone Biles in the world, second oh. is first. <laughs> so in the gymnastics world, second is first next to Simone. Um, and then went on to um, do really well at, at Worlds as well and became a world champion. Um, and so... I do think though, Krista, like that's something that we've seen so much in every sport, but I think so much more in gymnastics. I mean, I've Mm -hmm. interviewed so many gymnasts really dealing with really, really hard things Mm -hmm. and everything that, that Suni and Allie, that you guys have been taught your whole life. And I, I was taught too. I wasn't as high of a level gymnast as you are, but it, it permeates the entire gymnastics culture was if you allow yourself to experience negative emotion, it's going to overtake you mm-hmm. and derail your gymnastics. And so mm-hmm. therefore you have to shut it down. Mm. And um, oh. yeah. <laughs> but I see it a lot. You know, Which is with, where we, why we wanted to too. do this because we, yeah. we, we have learned that it actually won't overtake you. And in fact, it's your, it's your secret it's your secret power. It's your fuel, um, learning how to process that emotion. And so that's so much of what we did want to talk about. So I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that. Yeah, totally. And the resistance to it not only is not helpful, right? What we resist persists. So it actually increases the, the tension and the distance between where we are and where we want to be. Yeah. So Suni and Ali, one of the things that we talk about a ton here is, is the resistance to an emotion is the main thing that all of us are taught. I would say as gymnasts, it's like times a hundred, but mm-hmm. I love the analogy of if you're like standing in water and you have a beach ball in front of you and you take that beach ball and you hold it underwater, like it's not that hard to hold it under, you know, it's not like you're accomplishing this huge feat, but it, it takes some work. It's just kind of this gentle, like resistance, resistance, resistance. But after a while you get tired, right. Mm -hmm. And you let go of it. 
And then that beach ball like pops up and it's this really intense experience versus when you stand there and you just let the beach ball be there and you actually like acknowledge the beach ball and open up and it's just a beach ball. It's not like this huge Mm -hmm. thing. And you learn what to do with the beach ball. You don't have this intense experience of it, but because most of us are so our only experience with these negative emotions is when the ball pops up. We think that that's like the beginning of the emotion. And that if I like let it in, it will get even worse than that. And so our only experience with it is the most intense version of it. And we think that's the, like the, just the beginning. If I open up to it, it's going to be so much worse. But when we actually allow ourselves and learn how to experience those emotions, especially the emotion of grief, um, and we open ourselves up to it, we, that, that intensity isn't there and it doesn't overtake us and processing it through actually then frees us up to really be able to then go after the things we want to do. Krista, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, this kind of reminds me of some professions like, you know, physicians, professions where people are asked to compartmentalize and to kind of shut off their emotions in the best interests of whatever is right in front of them. So something that requires all their focus or their stamina or their concentration. And what I think too can also happen is not only can it cause, you know, problems in the short term, but it can cause problems in the long term where we, we become kind of disconnected from our bodies and from our emotions. And we really kind of go, go so much up into our intellect that we then kind of disconnect from what our body is trying to tell us because we forced ourselves to compartmentalize and to disregard what's happening for ourselves emotionally. And so I think we don't wanna underestimate either the long-term impacts of ignoring how we're feeling and trying not to feel it. Yeah. That's actually the conversation that started all of this from what I understand is that coach Amy is really beginning at, you know, in her (laughs) second half of life, really beginning to see how much she never grieved and how much, how disassociated from her emotion she's been, even though she's been doing this kind of work for a long time, um, it's still been, it's still been the hardest part for her. And so Amy and Krista were talking about that reality that, you know, 20 years later down the road. And I've even said, as I've been working with teenage athletes, like I finally basically had a, so my dad had a stroke and when he had a stroke, I was in my early 40s. I was in my late thirties when he had a stroke and I'm the oldest. And so I <clears throat> took over life for, I had to take over all of his life, his finance, he's uh, single. So I'd take over his finances, his medical, his property, everything. And I, I didn't know how to, how to deal with the emotion of it. And so after I, I did exactly, I like what I've been taught as a gymnast, I compartmentalized, I powered through. And then when it was done, I was on the couch for yeah. months and months. I mean, I had been this like really high performing, really high level person for all of my life. And I like, couldn't take a shower. Mm-hmm. I just, just tanked. And so for me, that's where I'm like, Oh, to have learned this when I was younger, like how different yeah. my life would have been. 
Yeah, because ignoring it doesn't make it go away, right? Distracting ourselves from it, keeping busy, not looking at it doesn't make it go away. At some point, we're going to have to work our way through it. Like that's the only way is through, you can't go around. And so the sooner we figure out that emotions aren't problems, they're just experiences, right? They're just things that happen in our body after we have thoughts about loss. And they usually don't last as long as we think, and they aren't the black hole that we worry they will be. Yeah. Better. Right. And Allie and Suni, we're of course talking to you, but we're even more talking to every athlete who's dealing with us because every athlete out there right now, I mean, like Suni, your experience of this up and down, like, oh, we are competing again. Oh, we're not. Now we're training. Nope. Now we're not. Oh yes. You're going to be able to go after your dream. Actually, maybe not like that back and forth of grief is incredibly difficult to deal with. And I know for you, it's, it's not over. Like the Olympics may still not happen or they might, and you may not make the team, which of course you will. (laughs) Um, but you know, even that I will be honest, I was, um, so I got to go to Rio and I was walking around, I was, I was walking, you know, kind of towards the, the stadium and I literally, I can't even explain it. I've never felt a heavier feeling than I did there. And the chaplains that I, so I was there with a religious um, group that, that kind of supports athletes, um, you know, as chaplains, they're all professional chaplains for different U.S. sports. And they said, coming to the Olympics is like doing 11 funerals and then a wedding because most people that are there like there's only a handful of winners and this is something everybody's get one, done their entire life for. And, um, and then if they, if they don't win or even if they win, I mean, like I, I remember watching, you know, different U S gymnasts who all, you know, won the, the national, the, or the Olympic title as a team, but you know, there was a, a jockeying for who got to compete all around. And then the ones who didn't, there was a lot of grief there. And so just like the heaviness, I've literally never felt such an emotionally heavy place as, as the Olympic village, um, which you, you don't think you don't see that on TV, on TV, you see the like, ah, you know, and you hear from the winners. And so it really took me by surprise. Um, so all that to say, like, it's not over for all of us of dealing with the grief of the up and down of COVID. It's not over for the athletes. And so I think the secret is learning how to process this emotion as we go and not just surviving it and getting to the end and then being stuck on the couch for months and months. Like I was (laughs) because like, we can't, you know, then it's like, okay, I made it through. And then now I'm like emotionally bankrupt. Yeah. Totally true. So Krista, I'd love to hear some thoughts for you in the, how to process the emotion of it. Mm-hmm. Um, before we move into that, Suni, Ali, any thoughts, any comments, anything else that you want to add? Um, I think for me, like the, you, when you compared like your dad's stroke, I think for me, that was like my first three injuries. I kind of like shoved it under and like, didn't process it, didn't show any emotion. And then the fourth, I just like lost it. And yeah. So I think that was very comparable. Yeah. 
You just like kind couldn't of, do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Reached a, reached a tipping point and the straw mm-hmm. broke the camel's yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, so did you want me to share? Yeah. Just share your thoughts emotions? that, yeah. Process, processing emotions and just like what, and, and specifically grief and moving through grief. I think kind of the, that, that looking to the next number of months, but then also like to the, you know, like every athlete listening to this eventually will come to the end of their career and it will Mm -hmm. be a grief to process. Um, and then there's the, the grief that we're all processing, but athletes, especially in the midst of it. And so how to kind of move in and out of that. Yeah. I think it's important to understand that there is no end point to grief, first of all, right? Because we live in a culture that really doesn't understand grief and we use a lot of um, labels that are confusing and we talk about stages and most of what any of us have learned about grief is rather inaccurate, right? There, it's not neat. It's not tidy. It's not linear. Um, there's no pot of gold. <laughs> there's no, you know, place where we reach and all of a sudden, um, you know, the grief goes away because the grief I, is really an umbrella term for our thoughts and our feelings about a loss. And as long as the loss has happened, which none of us are capable of time travel, so there will never be a point at which the loss d- is undone, right? It, it will always be there. And so we're not trying to get on the other side of grief, right? We're trying to incorporate the loss into the fabric of our lives and figure out how we're going to move forward with the loss, right? How we're going to adapt to it. So it's really more about resiliency, right? And deciding to think on purpose about what has happened in a way that serves us as opposed to a way that holds us back from living the life that we want going forward, right? I remember the first time I heard about post-traumatic growth and I thought my head was gonna explode because I only knew at that point about post-traumatic stress. I always thought that after a loss, be it a death loss or a non-death loss, that the best we could hope for would just be to get back to the place where we were before, right? Get back to functioning at the level at which we were functioning before. And I think it's really important for people to know that It's not a moral obligation that we grow after a loss, but it is an option. And one that we really didn't even realize that science didn't realize was available to us until like, you know, the mid nineties, that we can actually take any life experience, even if it's traumatic. And, and I promise you this for you, because of how important it is to you is likely under the umbrella of trauma, right? We can take that experience and decide not only to to not let it hold us back, but decide to use it in a way that helps us create more of the life that we want in the future and actually bounce forward instead of just kind of bouncing back to baseline. So I think it's really important that people understand that, right? That yes, the loss will always be there. And as humans, we have the agency, we can decide to process the feelings that, that have come along for the ride. And we can decide what we're gonna make this loss mean and who we wanna be in the face of it, right? So we get to be the boss of the life we live going forward, no matter what loss we have. Um, but processing the emotion is a huge part of that. I teach it in two ways. I have kind of two favorite ways of processing emotion. So one is what I call the um, now process. So I use the letters N-O-W. So the N stands for name it or notice it, which basically means, okay, you know, I notice I'm feeling sad. I notice I'm feeling angry. 
I notice I'm feeling embarrassed, whatever the emotion is, name it, notice it. And then the most counterintuitive part, because you've all been taught to shove your emotions away and to disregard them or that their presence means, you know, that there's something wrong, you're doing something wrong. So the O in now is to open up to it, right? It's to actually let it come in. And in my mind, when I imagine opening, I actually kind of pull my shoulders back, right? And kind of breathe it in and say yes to it, which is very counterintuitive, especially when nobody has taught us this, but we have to notice that it's there, name it, open up, say yes, and then let it flow through, right? And that's the W part. It's just watching it move through our body, or you can think of it as witnessing it. Because really what's happening is that we've had a thought and then chemicals are released in our brain. And then the experience of those chemicals is felt somewhere in our body. So you'll probably notice some emotions tend to show up regularly in certain parts of your body. Like I notice a lot of emotions in my throat a lot of emotions in my chest. It's probably different for, for each of you, right? And for everyone listening. But those chemicals, once we actually open up to the experience, typically only last about 90 seconds from that original thought. So the whole process is kind of like surfing a wave, right? You notice it, you name it, you open up to it, and you watch it flow through you. And you don't have to be stationary. You don't have to sit in like Lotus or anything. You know, you can like be like going about your day and doing what you're doing. And, oh, this is sadness. And it kind of comes in a wave and I'm willing to experience it. And I notice that when I put my attention on it, it's really a tightness in my throat and it feels a little constricted and it kind of makes me want to cry a little bit. But if I stay with it long enough, it just kind of dissipates. So name it open up to it, witness it. That's the now process that I love. And my other favorite way is emotional freedom technique or tapping. I don't know if you teach that. Um, we don't, I would love for you to teach it though. Yeah. Um, I, I can't even tell you how tapping has changed my life. It's changed my client's life. Are, are either of you familiar with it? Ali or Sumi, have you heard of it? Emotional freedom technique? Yeah, you can actually YouTube it and you'll see a lot of um, videos now are starting to pop up of athletes using it as a part of their training. I've seen um, some baseball players doing it in the dugout and um, Olympic athletes doing it as well. So maybe you've seen it done and just not known what it is, but basically it's like, it's like an off switch for your body's stress response. And you're using acupressure points, energy meridians in your body. And so it's just a way to process emotions. So you're using the points, and for those who are just listening, they can't see me, but there are different acupressure points. There's one right on the inside of your eye, the outside of your eye, under your eye, under your nose, under your lip, your collarbone, under your arm and the top of your head. Those are the most commonly used points. It's very simple to do in less than 10 minutes. Studies have shown that you can reduce your cortisol significantly, which is your body's stress hormone. And also, interestingly enough, increase your athletic performance. There've been a lot of studies on that done as well, but you start with a point on the side of your hand and you do three setup statements. And basically you're, you're not, you're acknowledging that you don't feel right, not for the purpose of making it stick, but for the purpose of letting it go. And so it would be something like, even though I feel sad, I deeply and completely love and accept myself if that feels right to you, even though I feel this sadness about my injury, I'm willing to feel this sadness now. Even though I feel this sadness about this injury or you know whatever it is, you just state what's true for you. 
I'm willing to let this feeling be with me now, something like that. And then you just tap injury, right? I'm so sad. I don't get to compete. This is terrible. And you go through all the points and you acknowledge the truth of what is what you really do believe that is causing that emotion for you and you let it out. And you will be shocked at how fast the intensity of that emotion will drop. There's an app that I always recommend and it's free and you can upgrade if you like. Um, I'm not affiliated with them in any way, but it's called the tapping solution and it is brilliant. And it has actually um, quite a lot of free content in there. It's great for people who have never tapped before, but it can help you take a really intense emotion and lower it down. Uh, for me, almost always, um, I, I just feel like I lost 50 pounds off of my shoulders whenever I tap. And I, I use it a lot with my clients. So the now process and, and emotional freedom technique or tapping are to me, the best ways to, to just let an emotion run its course. And then when you let it run its course, it doesn't have any power over you anymore. Right. You're not adding energy to it by holding that beach ball under the water. Like Stacy said, you're not becoming disassociated with what's happening in your body. It's just emotions are no longer a thing that, that stop you. You're like, yeah, I, I had a feeling and I processed it next. Yeah. And I think that's such the secret for athletes in terms of, of the motivation of, of learning how to do this and that it's, you know, as long as we keep those emotions and we don't process them, they, they keep coming up again and again and again. And so this is where it's so counterintuitive. Like we teach, shove the emotions aside, because if you let yourself experience them, it's going to affect your gymnastics or your sport negatively, but it's actually the opposite. When you continue to allow that emotion, not to allow to resist it. And so that emotion persists in your body again and again and again, it usually stays for, I mean, it stays for years as long as you let it, you know, as long as you don't process it. And so it's actually weighing you down and affecting you every moment of every day, especially in any situation that, you know, triggers that emotion even more. Um, and so the, the, the motivation beyond emotional health to actually engage in it is that it will free you up to move on. It is the actual way to then move on. And then what we teach from there is then how to learn to cultivate the emotions that you want to fuel you. And so then, you know, what are those feelings of calm, of confidence, of power that you want to actually fuel your sport? but there's not a lot of room for those when your body's taken up with all of these unprocessed emotions. And I will say, Chris, I actually have never heard that teaching of tapping. I've, I've done a different one. And I, I forgot until you said mm. this, it was my first foray in the counseling world. I remember being on the couch <laughs> and mm -hmm. doing it. And it, and it was, it was like this memory of something that had haunted me literally for 30 years. And I did the tapping around that memory and it is, it's been gone ever since. Like, not that the memory's right. been gone, but there's no longer an, a, a negative emotional association with it, mm -hmm. which is crazy to me. But the processing using the now, I remember the first time I did it and I was just like, are you kidding me? Like I have been doing all this stuff in my life to avoid that experience. Like I, you know, we, we talk about the, the things that we do to numb. So like 
we eat sugar or we shop or we social media, we do all these things to numb out these negative emotions or we resist them. And I was like, I've been doing all that stuff my whole life. And that was it. It was, it was like 90 seconds and it was over. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And then I kind of moved into how did I not learn this? earlier in my life. Like why, why did, what, like in the second grade, we should learn how to do this. Right. I agree. Yeah. Nobody (laughs) taught me either. And that's why, you know, I've started my children with tapping, especially at a very young age, because I want them to have that skill. Yeah. Yeah. If once we, if it really clicks in that feelings are not problems, they are just experiences. And if we allow them to be experienced, they pass and they don't create suffering. It's yeah. the resistance and the judgment of the feelings that creates the suffering. Yeah. It's not the actual feelings. Yeah. And I want to say like, I just don't want, I, I, I don't want there to be, as we talk about this in the athletic world, like I just don't want there to be any shame in not knowing this because, you know, like it, it, it's easy to be like, well, why didn't my coaches teach me this? Why do they, why do my coaches teach me that I need to push this down? Well, cause your coaches were taught the same way that you were taught by someone that was taught the same thing that they were taught. Like this is just not taught in our society and it's not taught in athletics um, for sure. And um, there's no shame in something that we didn't know, you know, like we didn't know how to do this. And so we just did the best that we could. Like all that we knew was when I experienced this negative emotion, it, it affects me negatively. And so therefore I probably should try not to experience it. Like that makes sense that that's been our response. But for me, as I've learned these tools, I'm like, now I know something different. And so now I have a responsibility to teach it to people as much as I can and to use it in my own life. And I will say even though I was like, are you kidding me? It was that easy. Like yesterday I was getting coached by my life coach and I was pretty emotional about something. And she was like, do you want to process that emotion with me? I was like, no, (laughs) I just felt this like fear of like, oh, it's going to overtake me. It's going to be awful. It's going to be this horrible experience. It's just, she was like, okay. If you just want to be mm-hmm. upset all day, you can. And I was like, all right, let's all right. process the emotion. Fine. And, you know, um, so there is something in us that is like, I don't want to open up to that, that scary, um, that even when you're familiar and comfortable with this process can still come up. And so for all of you who are hearing this for the first time and you, and you want to try it out and you think, oh my gosh, this feels scary. Like, that's okay. That's normal. Um, but it is something that I believe will help. I think the biggest thing that, um, that we've said is help you get your power back. And that's, that's, that's the reason for learning it. That's the reason for doing it. I love it. Ali, Suni, any, any thoughts? reactions, responses, knowing that other athletes will be having the same thoughts, reactions, responses to, to what we're saying? Um, I just like agree with you. I think that in the gymnastics community, like negative emotion or any emotion at all is kind of uh, frowned upon. So I think if that can slowly change, it would be beneficial to a lot of athletes. Yeah. yeah. 
I think a lot of the stuff that we're, I think that a lot of the times when there is un, so Krista, you're probably maybe not aware in the gymnastics world, there's just been a huge guys, how would you say it? Like uproar <laughs> against, uh, a lot of really negative coaching practices, um, and mm. the effect that it's had on gymnasts. Um, and so, and, and a call for change in the gymnastics coaching community. Um, I think this is at the center of it, that mm-hmm. a lot of times coaches don't know how to help their athletes process the negative emotion. The only way that they know is to make them more afraid of the coach or of the consequence. You're not going to make the team. You're not going to get in the lineup. You're going to have to go do more strength and conditioning. Like if like the thing that they've learned is the most effective to help a gymnast move past the emotion, especially of fear. Mm-hmm is to be more afraid of the consequence of not moving past the emotion of fear. And it's, it's had pretty devastating results on gymnasts for the rest of their life and, and their ability mm. to do that. And again, most of those coaches, I don't believe are ill-intentioned people that hate kids and are trying to ruin their kids' lives. Like mm-hmm. gymnastics coaching is not like this really lucrative business that you make tons and tons of money on. Like they're there because they love kids and they love gymnastics, but that's the way they were taught. It's the only way they know how, and it's had really devastating consequences. And I think this is the center of it. I think mm-hmm. that if coaches knew the tools of how to process their own emotions, so then their emotions don't get taken out on the kids that they're coaching. Mm-hmm. If coaches knew the tools of how to help the kids process their emotions and the fact that they're just an emotion, like you said, like, that's the biggest thing. It's like, it's just an emotion. It's just a feeling. It's not actually this big, huge thing. Um, yeah. And when you know how to do something with it and when you know how to feel any feeling, then you can, you can take on anything, you know, like when you're not afraid to be afraid when you're not afraid to be grieving, when you're not afraid to be humiliated, when you're not afraid to be embarrassed, because all of them are just emotions and you know how to process that emotion, whatever it is, like you can take on anything in the world. And so I think it's worth us learning. Totally. I think part of that too, Stacey, is understanding that our there is a part of our brain that is hardwired, yeah, right, to avoid pain and seek pleasure. And, and so when we understand that really nothing has gone wrong when we're afraid, right, there's a part of our brain that associates rejection, right? So, and maybe that means, you know, not getting the score that you imagine, not performing as well as you would hope to, not, you know, winning what you would hope to. There's a part of our brain that associates that rejection with death. And I'm being, it sounds dramatic, yeah. but, but it's really true. And so I'm laughing because it's so crazy to me that our brain does that, but it really does. But it's really, like, I mean, I am totally literally going to die because this, you know, this happened. Right. But, and it makes sense, you know, when you think about how we evolved, right, there was a time where we, it really did matter that we received the acceptance of our peers and our tribe, because if we didn't get that acceptance, we would be kicked out and then we would be forced to survive on our own. So it makes sense that that part of our brain is there. And once we understand, oh, this is just, you know, my barking dog brain, this is just my, my caveman brain that makes me think that, you know, if, if this doesn't work out, that I'm really going to die and I don't have to take it so seriously. 
I don't have to take the presence of that fear or the presence of this negative emotion to mean that something's really gone wrong. It's just that part of my brain trying to protect me and keep me safe. And then we can make peace with it and stop judging ourselves so harshly. I love that. All right. Last thoughts, Ali, Suni. Thank you guys for sharing your story. And I, I know that both of your stories are really like Ali, your story is a really common one for most athletes and they can really recommend it. And Suni, your story is, is actually for me, uh, has always been the last couple of years, just a very significant story of grief. Like, I think that the things that you've experienced are, are, are significant, um, you know, in that Krista, I love what you said though, about, um, like the trauma that, you know, that in the world that we've known where gymnastics or our sport is our identity and the taking away of that in any form, whether it be temporary or permanent, um, is a, is a trauma in for Mm -hmm. us. Um, I think it's easy to pretend that it's not because Mm -hmm. we think like only really huge, you know, like it's easy Suni to look at your story and be like, well, your dad's, you know, your dad being paralyzed, losing your aunt and uncle, like that's the only trauma that you've experienced this last year. That is a significant trauma that you've experienced, but you've also experienced the trauma of losing your identity or hoping your dream. And that's an actual, you know, legitimate trauma. Um, Guys, hold on just a second. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, So that that trauma is, you know, is, is, is legitimate and real. And so I think for athletes listening to this, like your, your, your story doesn't have to be as dramatic as losing out on the things that like Suni's experienced or even Ali's experienced, it's still legitimate trauma. Um, but also just that you said really early on, maybe this wouldn't be a loss for someone else, but this is a loss for me. And so I just want to leave us there. Like anything that you feel like this is a loss for me, like let that be legitimate and, and let yourself process it. So thank you so much for sharing your stories. Krista, thank you for sharing your expertise. And uh, we're going to continue this series uh, throughout the month on grief and emotions. Um, So look forward to more conversations. Thanks for tuning in. We believe that you've got this, but we would love to help you in your athletic journey. We know you need to get maximum results in the shortest time possible. So we've created a program with short, effective lessons and coaching that you can fit between practice and the rest of life. We coach parents, coaches, and athletes in the mental and emotional health tools they need to create an environment for athletes to thrive. Invest in the one thing that will have the greatest impact on your success, your mind. Check us out at athletesmindsetacademy.com. Let's do this.